What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Trailblazers reporter, Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. Thanks for making the show your first listen. Free on all platforms, coming at you five days a week, Monday through Friday. So start your days with it. Tell your friends to do the same. It's Locked on Blazers, your team every day. As, a, as an ironic caveat to that opening, uh, this episode's a little bit late. Uh, you are listening to Thursday, March 9th episode. Um, and if you live on the East Coast, it is legitimately uh, in the middle of your day. Uh, if you live on the West Coast, it's coming out in the in the morning hours, right as, right as probably you are starting work. I apologize. Life got in the way last night. Um, I'm not going to blame anyone I live with, but one of my roommates is under four months old. Uh, yeah, so let's, no blame, we're not, no blame, no blame, let's, let's just get into the show. Uh, we got to talk about the Blazers game, they lost to the, uh, Boston Celtics, it was not particularly competitive, not in a surprising way, but kind of in a somewhat frustrating way, we'll talk about that game, Yusuf Nurkic returned after five weeks off, um, we'll talk about his return and kind of what it means and the trickle-down effect of more Nurk and what it, what it kind of looks like for the Blazers and what, what we might hope to see moving forward with Nurk and, and the rest of the roster. And then I want to close the show talking about uh, kind of the distance between the Blazers and the Celtics. It, I don't mean it to break news, but I'd like to sort of set it in the context of what's next for Portland, as we've been trying to do a bunch in this show, look at a team that is championship ready in the Celtics and, and figure out the path from here to there. But let's do what we do to begin this one. Fastest recap in the West. Celtics win 115-93. Uh, the Blazers did not score 115 points, so they did not have the opportunity to win. Um, under 100 is tough for this team that shot 36% from the floor and 28% from three in the loss. Early on, Portland was making shots and hanging hanging in the game. They made five of their first 10 three-pointers and were down 35-28 after one. That was going to be the formula, right? Like they were they were going to win. They were going to stay in this game by bombing away from three, by being good on offense. It's like they're, they're um, you know, Celtics are a really good defensive team, but uh, they had been scuffling all of those things. Like this was, this was the Blazers. The Blazers were going to win this game by playing the way they did in that first quarter, which was not throwing the ball, not turning the ball over a whole bunch, and making some shots. Then they the second quarter happened to them. They shot 4 of 17 in the second quarter, 0 of 9 from 3, scored just 17 points, had 5 turnovers in that quarter, leading to 7 uh, points for the Boston Celtics. They go into halftime down 60 to 45, and frankly, it was like 60 to 45, only down 15 in the break? All right. Uh, you know, you played they just a awful, awful, awful second quarter, and you're only down 15, you could probably talk yourself into having, you know, say, okay, win the first eight minutes of the third quarter, and you'll have a, you'll have a puncher's chance against a really good team on the road. They didn't do that. <laughs> In fact, uh, the Blazers were not within single digits of the Boston Celtics after the 11-10 mark of the second quarter. They score early in the second quarter to keep it single digits. Boston takes a lead on the following possession, and they didn't. They were not within single digits the remainder of the game. It was 94-72 after three, and down 101-80 with 5:47 left. Chauncey Billups had seen enough. Pulled the plug, got his starters out of there, and the, the, we had six full minutes of garbage time 
This was a beat down. That's your fastest recap in the West. Uh, Damian Lord, 27 points on 7 of 16, shooting 2 of 8 from 3. Has a couple bad shooting nights um, this week. Uh, he's That usually means he's due, but Dame got to the free throw line. Um, he had 27 points, 8 assists. Like, this was, this was, Dame was not the issue in this one. Um, it, it was everybody else. No one else scored more than 13, led by Jeremy Grant, who was 5 of 12 from the floor, finished with 13 points. Uh, Kemresh had 10, Shane Sharp 12, and Trenton Watford 12 off the bench, although some of those points came after the game was already decided. Yusuf Nurkic, we'll talk about him a bunch in the second segment. He had five points and six boards to go with two dimes in his return to action the first game since February 1st. On the other side, Jason Tatum, 30 points and seven boards, uh, 21 for, for Derek White, who added five rebounds and seven assists, just 11 for Jalen Brown. They didn't need a big one from him, but Al Horford got busy, 17.6 boards, five assists, 11 off the bench from Sam Hauser, who just b- bombed away from three. Uh, the Celtics in this game went 18 of 49 from three. The number to know is 53-point attempts. Like, they just... they. Joe Mazzulla had said earlier this month, uh, the Celtics have been struggling recently. They lost three in a row. They had some time off before this game. This was like perfectly set up for, for a beatdown for the Blazers. Um, I don't think this is like particularly alarming that they lost. Um, it wasn't particularly fun. <laughs> like you want them to be more competitive in these games. But in terms of like, oh no, like troublesome. This was not a troubling loss. It was just like, a, okay, that team's better than the, them. But in, in a in a in a interview earlier this month, post game. Joe Mazzulla said the most important the most important stat in the league right now, just the way the game is being played, uh, is three-point rate. Celtics needs to get up a bunch of shots. They took 53s. They shot 37% from three, but because of the volume, they made 18 of them. They shoot right, you know, right around league average on 47 attempts. You make 18 threes, you're going to give yourself um, a, a, a puncher's chance, even if you don't get to the free throw line as much, even if you're not shooting like incredibly well. Um, but, you know, they... they this in some ways that was the difference. They were plus twenty one at the free throw line or at the three point line, and they did it not by like hunting off the dribble threes. They did it by getting into the paint. Uh, the Blazers couldn't really stick in front of either of the uh, either of the big wings, um, particularly Tatum. They just they couldn't handle him. They had nobody who could stay in front of his physicality, and and they would, you know, they were loading up to help a little bit. He was getting by, getting by the primary defender and then spraying the ball out to the corners. Al Horford feasting in the corners. Sam Hauser feasting on the wing in the corners. And it was just containing the ball, right? Like it was it was an inability to stay in front of the primary assignment. Then you've got to help. Then you've got to rotate. And if you do that, you're going to give up threes. I don't think the... I don't think the early in the game Boston was getting clean looks, but by the middle, second quarter, and the third quarter, they're getting whatever they wanted, right? They were just getting to the paint, break down, kick out, spray you know spray the ball around get a get a clean look and get them up they if if they shoot a little bit better on the clean looks they get this is like a wild beat down but um instead it was just you know instead they just kind of Heisman trophied the Blazers uh in in the second half and made sure this game wasn't particularly competitive uh their largest lead was 27 um but like you know, when you play six minutes of garbage time, the game kind of comes back to comes back to everybody a little bit. I, I don't feel like um, like I, I'm not, like I'm not gonna drop the drop the hammer on the Blazers for this loss. It's just like if they won, it would have been fun. If they were more competitive, it would have been more entertaining. Instead, they played a really good team, and they are have you know they've been. Um, 
they they've won like 40% of their games since December 1st. Like they haven't been good for a while. Of course they lost this game. But like of course they lost this game sells short the kind of like passion of being like I would like the team to be competitive. Like of course they lost is very different from like of course they weren't within 10 points for <laughs> for the final 35 minutes of the game. Um just it's just a little bit different of a feeling. So we'll talk about that more to close the show. Uh, but first, uh, in the second segment, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, about Yusuf Nurkic's return and kind of what, moreover, what it means. I don't think Nurk was very good in his return, but it's like moreover what it means for the remainder of the season. But before we get there, I want to give out some hardware and let's just go give it, let's go ahead and give it to Cameron Reddish. That's right. He's the Nissan Most Electric Player of the Week, brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. Listen, uh, the Blazers got wins against bad teams, Orlando and against Detroit, and and Reddish was good in those games. Some might call him fiercely elegant with his ability to get into the paint with his uh, strong handle at six foot eight. Some would call him stunningly powerful for his ability to finish in the lane and get shots off on balance. He was, some might even say brilliantly fierce or electric, like when he had 16 and five boards against Orlando or 13, six boards and eight dimes against Detroit, playing uh, a bunch of backup point guard minutes against the Pistons elegantly powerful. He was delivering the duality, a combination of fierceness and elegance, beautiful but strong. He was much like the perfect SUV crossover. The 2023 Nissan Aria that packs pin-to-your-seat power and premium intelligence all-in-one EV, the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the EV for people who love to drive. Shop now at NissanUSA.com. All right. Yusuf Nurkic back. Nurk back. Yusuf uh, Nurkic played 17 minutes and 28 seconds in his return. I assume his minutes restriction was somewhere right around 20 minutes, but it didn't matter because they punted the final six minutes of this game because they were getting um, walloped. They're getting walloped. So they had to bail. They hadn't been competitive and they had to get out of there. Uh, more games to play in the future. No reason to extend Nurk beyond the 17 minutes and 28 seconds he played. He finished with five points, six boards, two assists. He has two of six from the floor, 0 of three from three, and one of four from the free throw line. We don't really need to parse like the deep, the 17 full minutes of Nurk's performance. I will say this. He started the game running play, running uh, dribble handoffs and pick and roll actions with Dame and assisted um, the first two buckets of the game, both Dame threes, and it was like, Hey, it's going to be like, it's going to be a Dame night. Um, And the Blazers, they made five of their first 10 threes and then they missed their following 12. They missed their following 12 only to make one in the third quarter. 0 of 9 in the second quarter, only to make one in the third quarter. A late clock desperation from the right wing. Jeremy Grant has to shoot it or it's going to be a shot clock violation. Banks it in. Banks it in. They made five of their first 10 three-pointers. Then they just couldn't, they couldn't make shots against a good uh, Boston defense. They were turning the ball over. They couldn't stop Boston. All of that, all of that. I don't really think Nurk was a problem, right? Like um, he didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't get a field goal attempt up in, up in his first shift, but he did, he did get to the free throw, free throw line and miss some free throws. Um, I feel like the nitpick with Nurk is the three-pointers in, in his, in his return. Um, all three of his threes were, early clock above the break, like the deepest in the shot clock he got on any of his three-point attempts, 
15 seconds early clock above the break threes from Nurk. It's just not a good shot. Um, he shot well, but you want Nurk to take good shots in the rhythm, like bend the defense, take, you know, you get into the paint, you make it, you make something happen. Not like a trail three in transition or one where the ball was swinging around. It was like maybe a pass to Jeremy Grant. Yusuf Nurkic kind of gets it because he was trying to space out, has to take a dribble, get himself behind the three point line and then take a three pointer and he clangs it. It's like, that's a really hard shot. Why are you shooting that? I want him to only take easy ones. I want him to only take easy ones like in the flow of the offense, early clock above the break threes. That is two thumbs down. Wish I had more thumbs. Uh, you know, he scored inside against Al, Al Horford when he caught it in the mid post and backed him down, then scored late against um, uh, Blake Griffin. The sa same thing. Like, the, I, you don't want, you know, it's like you're not going to be able to bully everyone into the paint, but like Nurk's, Nurk's you know, his, his, the thing that makes him special is that he's going to be the biggest person on the court nearly every single night. You'd like to see more of that. I thought weirdly, and and then maybe you might disagree. I I don't even really know what exactly what I mean by this, but I thought they didn't feature Nurk enough, I, in, particularly early. You know, he only played three minutes in his first shift because it was like he hadn't played since February first. It's you don't want to overextend him, Let's get him a little bit of run, get, let him get his wind, let him like let him get let him get tired, let him. Let him feel what it's like to play NBA basketball again, something you can't simulate. I'm sure he didn't do much running with a calf injury. It's not like he, he was getting like playing five on five or whatever while he was out. He was really just like staying off his feet, trying to get right. I would assume I'm not a doctor, mostly a podcaster, uh, but you know, it's, he, he gets a, gets, you know, a very, very short shift early. But when he came back in the second quarter, I thought they were going to run more stuff through him. Like, run, just like use him as a fulcrum of the offense. They didn't really do that. And, you know, some of that might have been the way that the Celtics were, um, were defending dribble handoffs and making it hard to sort of get into that stuff. But I, I, I thought they were, I thought Nurk was going to be more, not as an, as a shooter, but more just like a feature part of the offense. Dude still sets big screens, um, so maybe they'll get more into that dribble handoff and 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 pick and roll and and mostly like stuff where he's at the elbow and can make decisions um, and 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 pass like that. Like, you know, it's there. Everyone he's reintegrating into the offense. His first time playing Matisse Thybulle, first time playing with Cam Reddish, first time playing just a basketball NBA basketball game in five weeks against one of the best teams in the league. So, you know, not um, I don't know. He looked like a dude who hadn't played basketball in a long time. He struggled a little bit. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, I don't think I don't think there's big takeaways. Um, the, it, you want to see him get better in the future, um, just because you want him to. You know, you, you you're a Trailblazers fan. You want him to. You want him to play better. Uh, and, and just in general, like whether he's part of the plan down the line or he's someone that they trade for um, a new look in the off season. Nurk playing better is just better for better for every scenario. I think in the in the medium turn, like the final few games of, of the regular season, uh, I do think Nurk helps. Like, even if he struggled in this game, he helps. He helps for a couple reasons. I think the biggest beneficiary of Nurk's return was Drew Eubanks. You know what Drew Eubanks looked like when he came into the game? An energy guy off the bench. You know what Drew Eubanks is in his NBA future? An energy guy off the bench. Overextended as the starter, gets exposed, and then everyone starts to, it's like, it's a funny thing about uh, watching a guy play in a role that's too big for him. It's like, this dude stinks and he can't play. So, well, he can't, he shouldn't play 30 minutes a night. He's just over, like, every all of his warts show up, all of his struggles, but like, 
in a small minute role, use of, uh, use of Nurkic, in a small minute role, Drew Eubanks can, ha- can, can do what he does, and then it's like, okay, he doesn't fit, get him out of there, and it, you don't get overexposed, you just take advantage of what you can do, like, not everyone can scale up and play 30 minutes, some guys are destined to play 14, uh, Drew in this one, 14 minutes, um, you know, 2.6 boards, but Super active, tapping the ball out on offensive rebounds. Just play, played really hard. And then, you know, he's going against Blake Griffin in backup center minutes. There was no Robert Williams for the Celtics on this in this game. So it's like uh, the Celtics played a bunch of small, uh, uh, smaller lineups that, they've, that they have played recently. And obviously they've played them in the past, even into the postseason with Grant Williams at center. So you come off the bench. I thought Drew Eubanks looked like he looked like what you want Drew Eubanks to be in this game. Not particularly great, but like the energy, hustle, go keep possessions alive, offensive rebounds. Um, his one bucket was spacing into the paint on a drive, made a little push shot, floater shot inside four feet. That's that's where he can score. You just like keep it simple for him. Role players need to play roles. When he's back in a smaller role with more Nurk, he's going to look better. And then the other thing that I think really is like the other beneficiary of this is that the Blazers are able to finally mix and match. Uh, when the Celtics did go small and they did have Grant Williams, the Blazers were able just to put uh, Trent Watford on the floor and play small lineups. Uh, they even played some uh, sort of like Jeremy Grant at center type of looks uh, with like all wings because of the way the Celtics were playing and the way they were going to match up. They were able to like play small and it wasn't by force, like the idea of the Blazers all year long that they just haven't been able to realize in part because they've been missing Justice Winslow, who's going to be the key to unlock some of this look. And, he, you know, he hasn't played in two months. Uh, it was was that they were going to be able to go small and sort of dictate the weirdness of the lineups. They weren't dictating anything in this game. They were getting thrashed a little bit. But, you know, the ability to say, OK, Nurk is playing limited minutes. Drew Eubanks isn't the answer when they go small because, he, you know, you don't he's just it's just you'd rather you'd rather match their 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 wingy lineups with a wingier lineup and not like a sort of traditional center who can guard in space a little bit the blazers able to to mix and match and not mix and match by force not have to play Trent and Watford because you need uh you know because your center needs a breather and you're just tiny this is go tiny be tiny on purpose um you know this is not like the game where you say like it works it works i don't mean to suggest that like like i said the blazers got thrashed uh it's just moving forward. I'm trying to look like down the line. I'm trying to think of the future of, uh, of this team, not the immediate present, because um, I, I watched the game. It, got, it wasn't particularly close. And we'll talk about that to close the show. Um, the, the ability to play multiple looks of your own terms has value. Nurk allows them to play looks of their own terms. Is it going to work? No, I don't know. It's like, it's a talent league. We'll see. We'll, we'll kind of just, we'll see what happens on that front. Like um, they might not be talented enough for that to matter, but the ability to play a couple different ways helps and Nurk will help. And hopefully he'll play better in the future because he looked like a dude playing his first game in five weeks in his return. What I want to do to close the show. As I want to talk about the distance between the Blazers and the Celtics, and I, I am not talking about the 27-point lead the Celtics had in the second half. I'm not. I'm not even talking about the 22-point difference between the end of this game, uh, 93-115. I'm talking about the difference in expectations and hope and ceiling. Let's talk about how the Blazers get from where they are to where they want to be, which is what the Celtics are. That's what we'll do to close the show. But first, Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar that there is. I love them. I've been eating them for a long time. I like them because... 
They're covered in 100% chocolate. They're sweet. And they give you that little bit of uh, like boost you need, boosting your blood sugar, getting you going a little bit. But they have some fuel you can use, 17 grams of protein, which is 130 cal calories and four net carbs. They're available on Built.com using the promo code LOCKEDON15. You'll get 15% off. But now, for the first time, there are uh, there are available in brick-and-mortar stores. You can go to Walmart or a Sam's Club near you if you got one. Buy a four-pack, find out what you like. If you're me, peanut butter brownie and cookies and cream. Once you find out what you like, go back to the store, buy a, buy a big box, a 13-pack. Take them home, enjoy them. Find out if I've been telling you the truth all these years years or go to built.com and get them yourself all right let's talk about the distance between these two teams the Blazers played the Celtics on Wednesday evening and it was a stark contrast between a team that is struggling to make the play-in in the Western Conference versus a team that has a legitimate chance to win the NBA title this ain't a surprise <laughs> Going into the year, I think the expectations for these two teams were clear, and I think for the most part, well, the Blazers have probably underachieved after a hot start. Like I said, they've won, they've won something like 40% of their games since December. Um, you know, this I think the Blazers were widely expected to be a, a 500-ish team, and the Celtics, who played in the finals last year, were widely expected to be a team that wins the title or does or gets darn close to it. So the idea that, like, now, as we sit here, that these two teams are far apart— I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be smart. Uh, sometimes on the show, I do attempt to be smart. This is. I'm not trying to be. This isn't wise or like. Hey, let me let me just tell you, the Celtics are better than the Blazers. This is just factually. These two teams are separated by a lot, but the Blazers if you believe them, have been selling you this idea that they had to tear it down because the previous roster was bloated and mediocre. They had to kind of balance their books, get their assets back, and they were going to build back up. Build back better? Is that, uh, <laughs> is that too political? Uh, they were going to build back better. Uh, and the idea... And I'm, I'm like exasperated because of both of my stupid joke and because of like selling patience um, to a team that's watched is watching year 11 of Damian Lillard's peak. Um, the idea is that they're going to make a big move this summer. They're going to go all in. It's going to come via the trade market. Don't get don't get too uh, worried about the free agent class or, or cap space. It's like the Blazers are going to make a big trade this summer. They're going to land this big fish and they're going to be a championship level team. They're going to be what the Celtics are or close to it, like a reasonable approximation of what the Celtics are. We'll see. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I'm in general skeptical of any team making the type of one year splash from where the Blazers are to where they get there because it's hard to build a champion in this league. And the Celtics were a reminder of, of the distance between these two teams. They're also a reminder of what sort of, in recent years, champions have looked like. Their team's built through the draft most recently. The Golden State Warriors, obviously when they signed Kevin Durant, it was a confluence of a lot of wild events and they were like outrageous. But the core of that team, even the core of last year's team that won the championship uh, with Steph and Dre and Clay and Jordan Poole, Kevon Looney, it's like that team is a team that was... was um, you know, drafted, and then you supplement it with the right trades—the Andre Iguodala trade, uh, the 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 sign-in trade that 
eventually sent Kevin Durant away and netted you Andrew Wiggins. Um, like it, it is you, that core of that team is built through the draft. Look at the Celtics. The core of that team, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, built built through the draft. Grant Williams. Uh, I don't know if he's like deeply part of the core, but you know Al Horford, who they had to left and had to, had to reel him back in. And then you trade for the parts that matter. The Derek White trade, the the Malcolm Brogdon trades to kind of make the back half of the roster work and ch- take you from a team that has drafted very well to be a championship level team to a team that can go a little bit further. That's not the only way to win a title. In 2019, the Raptors made a the big trade, acquiring Kawhi Leonard and had basically a 12-month window to win a championship and perfectly threaded the needle and did it. The the Los Angeles Lakers in 2020, you could argue like the big trade for Anthony Davis. Add Davis, obviously a weird year because of the bubble and everything. Um, like, But you make the big trade, you add him to the roster, you, you um, in short order, after the big splash trade, win a title. That's kind of what, not what the Blazers are selling. I don't think they're selling like we're going to win a championship in, in um, 2024. Like I, I don't think that's what they're selling. But they're selling like we're going to be a, a competitive Western Conference finalist type team if you let us build to where we want to go. But I think what the, common, the commonality between these, these teams, right, um, is that the core was in place, whether it's like a drafted core and then you trade for the parts or you trade for the big part and you've got your drafted core your, or you're like acquired, you're like built up Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet in the, in the Raptors case, uh, like you've Norman Powell, you've like got those, those parts drafted and built behind it. It's like you need championship level role players or you need championship level stars and then you trade for the role players, but you have to you have to build a solid core first. And I think that's, to me, the actual distance for the Blazers is that you look at this roster, and we did this exercise earlier this week, and it's like, how many players who played against the Celtics on Wednesday night are like reasonably part of a team that could like compete for a title? I think the Blazers have done well. I think Matisse Thibel is an, up, uh, is an upgrade. I think uh, the Nissan Electric Player of the Week, Cam Reddish, has showed that he may be in the right spot, has a little bit more to give with more opportunity and all these things like um, the playmaking and, and the ball handling. He's been a little bit better there. And, and it's, he's, you know, he, at least this week when he won some hardware, the shot shot very well from three. Uh, I, I've got it up here. Shot 46% from three uh, this week against Orlando, Detroit, and, and the Celtics. Like, but... I don't know that you could talk me into like Matisse Thibel and Cam Reddish and Nazir Little being like definitely parts of a of a t- championship level core. But I will say this: the way that you the way that you often pull the floor up, that you raise the floor, is getting a star because stars is a ripple effect of how good you can be when the attention matters. I'm thinking about a guy like Josh Akogi in Phoenix. Akogi can't really shoot. Um, but he plays incredibly hard. He's a really good offensive rebounder. And when he has been on the court with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant and DeAndre Ayton and and, uh, and Chris Paul, it's like, wow, he's a really useful role player. And that's the idea. 
not that the Blazers are going to, like, I guess the idea at one point was they were going to trade for Kevin Durant, but, like, if the Blazers are able to make a trade for an all-NBA-type player and whatever that costs you, the Anthony Simons and et cetera, et cetera, it's that the role players that are on the team now, that they're, what they do, the ask is a little bit smaller. Think of the idea of Drew Eubanks we discussed, and I discussed in the second segment. is like, when the ask is smaller, when your role makes more sense, you're able to do it better. You don't get overexposed. The distance from the Blazers to the Celtics is massive. And I personally am relatively skeptical, actually just straight up skeptical, that this summer they they walk that path from where they are to a reasonable proximity of Boston. But the idea is that whether you you know, whether you've nailed the draft picks and whether that championship core is something like Shaden Sharp and Amphrey Simons and you're building for that for the future, or whether you're going to go that 2019 Raptors, 2020 Lakers route and land, and trade for the big fish, you got to have the core in place. So for the final end of the season, I think the eye, the thing to keep an eye on is how many of these players are high level contributors if the, if the, if their coworkers were even better, like how, how well do these guys play off Dame? What if they had another player that was like, 85% of what Damian Lillard brings because that's the idea of the Blazers are going to Blazers are going to make this big trade. Whether they do that is like a conversation that we will legitimately have another day, but not right now. That's how I'll be watching the team the rest of the season. It is a long, challenging path, but you got to build that core first, have that core in place first and then if when you do make the trade, can those role players fill in the gaps because now you've acquired the other parts of high-end talent to meet your already talented star it's a tough one but it's a it's a fascinating one and we will cover it here on lockdown blazers it's what we do apologies the episode came out a little bit late happens uh we still we still crank them out five days a week monday through friday uh come back and join us we will have i'll have another show on on friday should be a bunch of fun i appreciate you listening I'll talk to you soon.